you'll turn the New Testament you have to the 21st chapter of John's Gospel, we'll read verses 1 through 19 from the Gospel of John, chapter 21, verses 1 through 19. John's Gospel is the fourth. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And you'll find chapter 21 there if you'll turn enough pages. The title of the sermon today is uh, When Life Caves In on You. And we're going to find that experience in this man's life. After these things, Jesus manifested Himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And He manifested Himself in this way. There were together Simon, Peter, and Thomas, called Didymus, and Nathaniel, Canaan, and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two others of the disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, We will also come with you. And they went out and got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, yet his disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus therefore said to them, Children, you do not have any fish, do you? And they answered him, No. The word is not a one, not a single bite. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find a catch. You will find plentiful amount. They cast therefore, and then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. That disciple, therefore, whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, It is the Lord. And so when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his outer garment on, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about 100 yards away, dragging the net full of fish. And so when they got out upon the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land, full of large fish, a hundred and fifty-three. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question him, Who are you, knowing it was the Lord? Jesus came and took the bread and gave them, and the fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after He was raised from the dead. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these things? And He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And He said to him, Feed my sheep or tend my lambs. And He said to him again a second, second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Shepherd my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he'd said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger... You used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wish, but when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will gird you and bring you where you would not wish to go. 
Now this he said, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, Follow me. This letter was written to the Republic Insurance Corporation in, in Carson, California by a man named Joe Sheraton. I'd like for you to listen to this letter. I'm responding, I'm writing in response to your request for additional information. In block number three of the accident reporting form, I put, quote, poor planning, unquote, as the cause of my accident. You said in your letter that I should explain more fully, and I trust that the following details will be sufficient. I'm a bricklayer by trade. On the day of the accident, I was working alone on the roof of a new six-story building. When I completed my work, I discovered that I had about 500 pounds of brick left over. Rather than carry the bricks down by hand, I decided to lower them in a barrel by using a pulley which fortunately was attached to the side of the building at the sixth floor. Securing the rope at ground level, I went up to the roof swung the barrel out and loaded the brick into it. Then I went back to the ground and untied the rope, holding it tightly to ensure a slow descent of 500 pounds of brick. You will note in the block number 11 of the accident reporting form that I weigh 135 pounds. <laughs> Due to my surprise at being jerked off the ground so suddenly, I lost my presence of mind and forgot to let, let go of the rope. Needless to say, I proceeded at a rather rapid rate up the side of the, of the building. In the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel coming down. <laughs> this explains the fractured skull and broken collarbone. Slowed only slight, slightly, I continued my rapid ascent, not stopping until the fingers of my right hand were two knuckles deep into the pulley. Fortunately, by this time, I regained my presence of mind and was able to hold on to the rope tightly in spite of the pain. At approximately the same time, however, the barrel of bricks hit the ground and the bottom fell out of the barrel. Devoid of the weight of bricks, the barrel now weighing approximately 50 pounds. I refer you again to my weight in block number 11. As you might imagine, I began a rapid descent down the side of the building. In the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel coming up. <laughs> this accounts for the two fractured ankles and the lacerations on my legs and lower body. The encounter with the barrel slowed me enough to le lessen my injuries when I fell onto the pile of bricks. Fortunately, only three vertebrae were cracked. I'm sorry to report, however, that as I lay there on the bricks in pain, unable to stand, and watching the empty barrel six stories above me, I again lost my presence of mind and let go of the rope. I... I guess it's true that that sometime we all lose our presence of mind, as Joe calls it, and we do those things that we deeply regret. We say those things we deeply regret later. When situations get out of hand, they get out of control, and life gets in a mess, and life begins to crumble in. 
Well, I guess I've got some good news for us then because the gospel is designed for people on whom life has caved in. Simon Peter is our example. This guy coined the phrase, don't just stand there, say something. I mean, he was always getting himself in trouble. And he did the very thing he said he would never do. He denied the Lord. You know the story. Jesus was arrested and tried and trumped up charges were brought against him. And out in the courtyard, Simon Peter warms his hands by a fire. And all of a sudden a little woman sees him and points a finger of accusation at him and says, you're the man I saw with Jesus of Nazareth. And he denies it loudly and the third time with a curse. Just about that time he hears in the distance the crowing of a rooster and he remembers the Lord's words, the rooster will not crow twice until you've denied me three times. And he began to cry. In fact, the Bible says that he wept bitterly for his world was caving in on him. And I imagine that the next few days were nightmares for Simon Peter. The feelings of fear and, and guilt and helplessness as he watched Jesus crucified on a cross and dying with him were all the hopes and dreams that he had invested in that man. And so he thought there's nothing left to do but just go back to nets and boats and try to forget. When life caves in on you, that happens to all of us. And so I want to let this sermon this morning just kind of be one of those how-to sermons. You know, like one of those instruction sheets that you get with that deal you're going to put together for your children at Christmas time. You've got all these pieces stretched out in the living room. Where do you go from here? What do you do after that? How to get life's pieces back together when the world crashes in on you? Well, the first thing you need to do is to remember that no situation is hopeless where God is. As long as God is with us, there is no hopeless situation. That's what happened to Peter for a while. He thought God had abandoned the universe and he was left alone to face the eerie silence where God was not. And there is no experience in life that is more dark to a person than that experience that comes in the moments where it seems that God is silent. John the Baptist was troubled by this himself. And so he sent an emissary to Jesus, not primarily because he was an outdoorsman and he felt the loss of freedom of being outdoors. He sent that emissary to Jesus primarily because Jesus said nothing. He wanted him to say something. He wanted him to speak up. Are you the Messiah or not? I'm disappointed if you who are who you say you are. Why don't you shout it from the housetops? There is no despair that comes in life that can compare with the despair that comes when God is silent. And so Simon Peter turned away and walked away from that cross because, in despair because he had seen and heard God's most eloquent word silenced. And it must have been a source of overwhelming joy to him when someone told him later, Jesus is risen and he calls for you. And he must have thought, he is here. God has not abandoned the universe. He's been here all along in the darkness. James Stewart tells about going to the little village to get a view of the mountains. 
The first morning the mountains were covered by the mist and he couldn't see them. The next morning and the next. And finally one day the sun broke through. What a beautiful view of the mountains. The next morning the mist was back. James Stewart said, What difference did it make that the view was covered by the mist? I knew the mountains were there, for I had seen them myself. What difference does it make that sometimes the mist of suffering and disappointment and trials seem to veil the face of our Lord if we have met Him and know Him? We know He's there all along. He has not abandoned us. The kind of God who is so concerned that we succeed in business that He stands on the edge of a lake and watches these fishermen as they caught nothing. They toiled in their business and were unsuccessful. And so He calls out, Hey boys, cast the net on the other side of the boat and stands there and rejoices in silence in their successes. And then He says to us, I'll make that marriage successful. I'll make that business successful if you'll just give it to me. The kind of God who wants so much that we have all our needs met that with His own nail-pierced hands He fixes a fish breakfast. And when these hungry fishermen come off the lake, He says, Fellas, take something and eat. Then He says to us, You'll never see the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. We know that God is there all along, that kind of God. And because we know He's there, we know that there is no situation that's ever hopeless. Christianity is not the avoidance of trouble. Christianity is meeting trouble triumphantly. And I think it was Henry Walker Blake who put it this way, trouble is no tragedy when you know you can manage it. The joys of Jesus came not in the avoidance of of difficulties, but in the conviction of a power to triumph over them. What brings joy to the morning is not the feeling that today may be absent. There may be the absence of trouble and disappointment and discouragement, but rather the knowledge that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Then said Blake, I knew a man in the hospital who understood that. He was like a tonic every time I saw him. Although he was diminished by arthritis and a bad heart, he always had a grin from from ear to ear on his face. And every time I saw him, even though he felt badly, he had a cheery word. For after long years of walking with God, he knew that he was spiritually adequate to face anything that came in life. That's the most important thing to know when life crashes in on you is that God is with you and there is no such thing as a hopeless situation when that is true. Secondly, when the bottom falls out and the world caves in on you, you need to understand not to put too much stock in things. I can just hear Simon Peter's ideas, the mind of this man as he thinks to himself, I'm miserable, I'm unhappy, I'm depressed, I'm discouraged. And so I'm going out and satisfy this need that I have with these things. And he got his nets and he got his boat and he sought to find that comfort for that void in things, those things. That sound like anybody you know? I'm miserable and unhappy. 
I have an empty, aching void inside of me. I know how I'll satisfy this hunger. I'll satisfy it with houses and clothes and cars. I'll quench this thirst with drink and drugs. I'll scratch this insatiable itch with things. I heard about a guy who was drafted into the United States Army against his deepest desires. I mean, he thought that was the end of the world for him. And from the very beginning, he, he had this strange emotional habit. He, he went everywhere picking up pieces of paper off the ground. He'd look at them and he'd say, that's not it, and he'd lay them down. I mean, in the barracks, on the drill field, in the mess hall, he'd pick up these pieces of paper. That's not it, he'd lay it down. The commanding officer thought, this guy's got a screw loose. And so he called in the army psychologists and they did some evaluation of him. And finally, the, the army psychologist said, this guy definitely has some incurable emotional problems. We might as well let him out. And so they called him in and gave him that piece of paper, his honorable discharge. He took it in his hand, looked at it and said, that's it. <laughs> that's what I've been looking for. How many people do you know who go through life looking for it and have never found it? They walk through life, they pick up these little things that are so beautiful and attractive, things to play with, and they play with them for a while, but they lay them down soon if they can because that's not what they're looking for. And King Solomon experienced the same thing in his life and he wrote about it in the book of Ecclesiastes. Will you listen to this dynamic word? Hang on to every word of it. I've seen everything done in this world and I tell you it's all useless. It's like chasing the wind. You can't straighten out what is crooked. You can't count things that aren't there. I told myself I have become a great man, far wiser than anyone who ruled Jerusalem before me, and I know what wisdom and knowledge really are. I was determined to learn the difference between knowledge and foolishness, wisdom and madness, but I found out that, it, that I might as well be chasing the wind. The wiser you are, the more worries you have. The more you know, the more it hurts. I decided to enjoy myself and find out what happiness is. But I found that this is useless too. I discovered that laughter is foolish, that pleasures do, no good, do us no good. Driven on by my desire for wisdom, I decided to cheer myself up with wine and have a good time. I thought that this might be the best way people can spend their short lives on earth. I accomplished great things. I built myself houses and planted vineyards. I planted gardens and orchards with all kinds of fruit trees. I dug ponds to irrigate them. I bought many slaves and there were slaves born in my household. I owned more livestock than anyone else who has ever lived in Jerusalem. I also piled up silver and gold from the royal treasuries of the lands I ruled. Men and women sang to entertain me and I had all the women a man could want. Yes, I was great, greater than anyone else who had ever lived, and my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I got. I did not deny myself any pleasure. I was proud of everything I'd worked for, and all this was my reward. 
Then I thought about all that I had done and how hard I had worked doing it. And I realized that it didn't mean a thing. It was like chasing the wind of no use at all. And that, my friend, is the addendum to the life of a man who had the ability to try everything in life and he found nothing that he wanted. Nothing. I want you to come back to the scene with me. There's Simon Peter. And Jesus is standing before him. And this man's heart is aching. His, his life is crying. And Jesus says to him, Simon, I know you're aching. I know you're hurting. But you'll not satisfy that ache, that hunger with these things. And the word in the Greek demands the word things to make the, to make the understanding of the sentence. You're not going to find it in these things. And I think with a gesture he must have moved his hand toward boats and nets and the lake. And then he said to Simon, love me. That's the answer. If your heart is hurting, if life has caved in on you, you're not going to find any comfort in things, but you will find comfort in His love and in loving Him. Fall in love with me, Simon Peter. Learn to love me with all your heart and you'll find the satisfaction. You'll find it. Notice that he did not say, Do you respect me? He didn't say, Do you honor me or admire me or... Have you done the best to follow my teachings? He did not say, Have you wept for your denials and failures and sins and mistakes? He didn't say, Have you fasted in order to atone or make amends? His question then is his question now. Do you love me? And I think those nail-pierced hands Peter caught Peter's eye and the love that was manifested in them. And I think that love called to the deep of Simon's spirit. And I think what he felt was what inspired the songwriter to write, My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. For thee all the follies of sin I resign. My gracious Redeemer, my Savior art thou. If ever I loved thee, my Jesus, it is now. When life caves in on you, remember this. You can't find what you're looking for in things. There's one other idea, please. When the bottom falls out and the bricks come down, when life caves in on you, lose yourself in service to others. Now you cannot separate the three denials of Simon Peter whereby he lost his self-respect in the courtyard from the three times our Lord inquired of him, Do you love me? They are dynamically related. And then came his command, Feed my sheep. That is, minister. That is, if life has caved in on you, give yourself to ministry and to service. Perhaps this morning, if you have a, are having a hard time putting the pieces of your life back together, it's because you've focused too much upon yourself and upon your own problems. Look about you to those people who need you 
and lose yourself in service to them. That's the best answer for depression and discouragement and despair. Simon, feed my sheep. And it just may well be that this suffering through which people pass is our preparation for service. It just might be that the reason the world has caved in on you, if that's the case, is because God is getting ready, getting you ready for ministry and service. Sometimes that happens. Our hurting helps. That sorrow has a great value to it is, is without denial. It is oftentimes though those people that God leads through the dark valleys that, have, that are the most useful to God. They are the most forgiving in spirit, most loving in service, most assured in faith. And so Wordsworth said, Wordsworth said a human, a deep distress has humanized my soul. And Charles Berry wrote, the Lord has led me through some dark places and in them I have discovered what great men write about. I have found that some things in life, yes, the best things in life, he said, are seen more clearly when the light of the world is dimmed and the light of God is left to shine alone. It is true. You will not see the best things in life until the light of God is left to shine alone. It is true that hurting often helps us to help others. History is piled high of evidence, of the evidence of that. Listen to me, the Bible is not a list of the addresses of people who live on Easy Street. It's not a list of those people sitting in life's easy chair with their feet propped up toasting their toes by the fireplace of some Christian coziness because they are orthodox. Not so. The Bible is a catalog of tragedies that have been handled triumphantly in the power of God. And so there's a loud laughter ringing in every line as Paul writes from prison, count it all joy when trials come. These sufferings have led people to Jesus, he said, and that's what life is all about. And Jeremiah had to do time in the dungeon's mire because he wouldn't denounce his prophecy. And Ezekiel lived on barley cakes mingled with manure because God wanted to demonstrate what would happen to Israel in captivity. And Hosea had to know the agony of living with a woman who forever and openly was unfaithful to him. And then God said, Do you know how that sin of unfaithfulness has broken Hosea's heart in little pieces? Then you know how you break my heart when you sin. And somebody's put it so beautifully. Listen. Seeking a deliverer and a savior, our great God in his own purpose passed by the palace and its silken delights. He took a little babe in his arms and he called it to his side, called to his side his favorite angel, the angel of sorrow. Stooping, he whispered, O sorrow, thou well-loved teacher, take this child of mine and make him great. Take him to yonder cabin in the wilderness. Make his home a poor man's home. 
plant his narrow path thick with thorns, cut his little feet with sharp rocks as he climbs the hill of difficulty, make each footprint red with his own life's blood, load his little back with burdens, give to him days of toil and nights of study and sleeplessness, rest from his arms whatever he loves, Make his heart through sorrow as sensitive to the sigh of a slave as a thread of silk in a window as sensitive to the slightest wind that blows. And when, he's deep, when he has deep lines of pain in his cheeks and make his feet more marred than any man of his time, bring him back to me and with him I will free four million slaves. And that's how God made Abraham Lincoln great. I tell you, God's goal for your life is, to be, is that you be conformed to the image of His Son. And how do you think you will ever attain to that purpose without trials if Jesus learned through the things He suffered? And Charles Kingsley said, There is no life on earth that is useless as long as it lifts burdens from someone else's. That just may be what God is getting for, ready for you to do. It may be that the trouble through which you pass when life caves in is God's seminary to make you great. Therefore, there is no situation that is hopeless where God is. To feel His pressure upon your life is to know that He is at work there. And to know that He is there is to know that you can do all things. But if you've been giving yourself to things, you better lay those things aside and look to Him. He is coming to empty your hands of things so that He might be first. And you understand that the greatest thing in life that any one of us will ever do is lose ourselves in service feeding his sheep. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, for some of us, truly, there are difficult moments and times, and we rejoice in them today because we know that you are there at work to bring good out of everything and to work to accomplish your divine plan for us. And I pray that where we have been resistant and rebellion, we might be submissive. Where we have been unfaithful, that we might be faithful. And where we have been adamant in our rejection, we might be just as dogmatic in our acceptance. I pray for this moment of invitation today. And I pray for those of us who need to respond publicly to the call that comes to the deep of us through Jesus Christ and His Spirit. Now would you look this way. We extend invitations, public invitation in, in our church, First Baptist Church, evangelical churches for your response to the leadership of God in your life. It's really of no value just to come 
forward except in response and obedience to the call of God for you to do so. And we have an invitation that we offer for people to come to receive Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. You'll not have all the questions answered. Never, ever will you ever have all the questions answered. As a matter of fact, that's what faith is. It's coming in trustful surrender. And without faith, it's impossible to please Him. And so we invite you to come this morning by faith to receive Christ, to accept His gift of salvation, to claim that He has saved you and will save your, you as you trust yourself to Him. The next two invitations are for Christian people. Some of us who just need to publicly respond in, respond in rededication because others have seen the bad witness of our life. Or perhaps to come to say, I want to place my life in service and ministry in First Baptist Church. These are our invitations. And if God calls you, you'd better respond. It's best to do it now while we stand, our choir sings. <laughs>